Hello, and welcome back to the Jokerman program about Bob Dylan's music. This is Evan. This is Ian. And joining us on the mic, on his actually good microphone, I'm sure. Recording on my iPhone. Jonathan Rado. Do you have an SM7B, Rado? I don't, but I don't have a podcast. I guess we might not. Yeah, you only have a a recording empire. That's all you have. I have recording empire. I do not have a podcast. If I had a podcast, I would absolutely get an SM7B and I would have that shit right. Well, first of all, I'd do video, which I think you guys should do. Yeah. I'd have it right here under my chin so you can see the face. Right. We're talking about time out of mind, side two, side B. Side B. This is one of the best sides of time out of mind. (laughs) <laughs> one, certainly one of them And it, it starts with a, a song That is pulling Literally zero punches A song that is it, Just Just honk on Bobo For me Ian uh, Well I, I certainly will in a second but before we jump in It's time for everyone's favorite segment Of Jokerman uh, Podcast right. Talking about the cover the part where we talk about the yeah. cover. Oh yeah, which was a photograph taken by Daniel Lenoir. Lenoir, that's right. His hands are all over the record, even literally the cover of it. This is the Oxnard uh, Center of Operations Studio, Tatro Studios, yeah. Tatro. Yeah, Tetro Studios. It was called. Tetro. That's so wild. That's cool. Yeah, Oxnard. it's still that's there. Like, like the last place on I earth know. that I would imagine this record being recorded. Dylan would ride his Harley up from. Malibu. That's pretty badass. His truck up from Malibu. You think he wrote his? He heard he wrote his. Harley I think he was riding his bike. Rode his that's, hog. That's so cool. Because he, you know, Lanois got him into motorcycles. It's fucking so cool. Yeah, he, Lanois got him into motorcycles in 1966. <laughs> <laughs> what? You're right. He didn't. Maybe he got him. Maybe he got him back into motorcycles. Yeah, he got him back into. He got him into Harley's. The part of the Lanois book where he's like, one of my proudest achievements is introducing motorcycles to Bob Dylan, <laughs> someone who had never heard of them before. You know what I hear? You know what I heard is that when he would get pissed off, I always thought this would be an amazing scene in the movie when Dylan would get pissed off at Lanois in the studio and storm out. Um, he would ride his motorcycle just around in the parking lot <laughs> doing donuts <laughs> to blow off steam. Holy shit. Isn't that fucking amazing? So good. Just that, like, you know, that's, just, that's so cool. So just awesome. Aggressively going around in circles in a parking lot. Extra like loaded <laughs> gesture because of like, if your career was basically like put on hold and you had this like huge uh, event in your life where you crashed a motorcycle, then to just like, performatively ride it around in a parking lot because you're pissed that there's a lot going on there going back to our theme of sort of psychoanalyzing bob dylan oh man well he's self he's the one of the most self-destructive um successfully (laughs) self-destructive artists of all time He's self-destructive but he's he never goes off the level he stays on that level stays on the level Mm -hmm. are you familiar with that concept no but i get i kind of get it (laughs) This is something Dylan said. Okay, he stays go for on. It. He stays on the level. Stay on the level, man. When when asked uh, about why he how he keeps himself so spry, so creative, into his you know late later years, he just said, you know, I stay on the level. Just keep it on the level. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. Yeah, I relate to that. 
I try to keep it on the level as well. You keep, I think. You keep it on the level. Oh, Evan, I, I do want to alert you here. Uh, I, I just Googled time out of mind. Bob Dylan, uh, you know, did the image search there just so I could, you know, kind of really study the image. And I, I do have to say, I uh, in the image results, we've got we've got another entry in the, uh, oh, in the Bob bootlegs here. Uh, Bob Dylan, mind out of time. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> wow. What uh, is that made up of? That's uh, that's a great question. Let's see. It's a '98 set. Uh, take a look at what's uh, what's on here. Uh, Rado, just for your uh, 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 knowledge, we're we're big fans of sort of the Bob uh, bootleg community and their absolute kind of magisterial yeah. talent for naming these uh, these collections of bootleg sessions. Right. Pos- what is positively the- West Fifty Second Street? That's fucking <laughs> awesome. What about uh, what's the Infidels one called? Outfidels, of course. Outfidels, yeah. <laughs> Outfidels. Outfidels, yeah, 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 yeah. I have that. I yes. downloaded that. <laughs> yeah, Outfidels. Mm. Uh, uh, Mind Out of Time appears to just be a sort of a mishmash collection, one live mm. performance of each song on the record. So it is how about how about Time song. Out of Live? Mm. Where it's live versions or yeah, live or live time out of mind. Live performances. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't I get mean, it. You, I don't get the joke. You don't get it. I can't do it. I give up. All right. Well, feel, feel that feeling of giving up and, um, and, and of, of desperation because you don't get the joke and then just transpose that onto the first song of side a Boom. great transition. Evan. Thank you. Flam dunk. Come on, Ian. Give me that. Oh, yeah. Give me that good sound. And just like Bob Dylan, that was very hot. The recording <laughs> of that was very hot on the mic. Yeah, that's going to be uh, that's going to be a mess. Not a dark yet. Yet not dark. And yet. Not so dark. Um, so this is a song about toast. Mm. <laughs> You've been saving that one up. I haven't. Actually. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, no, this is a song about how you can feel the life slipping away from you. You can literally just feel that you might die uh, any day now. Yeah, yeah, he's singing a lot about dying on this album. Yep. But no more than on, on this song, Not Dark Yet, which is about uh, ostensibly you know, a character or himself but also, I think the great power that this song has kind of comes from the fact that it's easy to think about it as being about everyone, everything, mm-hmm. our country. Getting old. <laughs> Things aren't totally gone, but entropy will take away the rest of it. Right. It's heavy, man. One of his best, another... I think standing in the doorway, trying to get to heaven, not dark yet. Like, holy Lord. Those are like three, the best Dylan songs. Yeah. Those are, those are all right up there. I mean, absolutely the the best of the nineties up within that conversation, which. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there, there isn't a whole lot to go into the best of the (laughs) nineties, to be honest. I, I, and I, I, I think, yeah, those three are, are absolutely up there with, you know, any of the other Pantheon shit from any other decade. Yeah. Yeah. All time best of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's truly great. The essential Bob Dylan. 
even if you're listening to it casually and you kind of have it on in the background, you know, say you just put on this record because you heard it was good and you're just like doing stuff around the house, you will be like noticeably feeling some some vibes change in your house when you just have this on. Like yeah, It'll get to you. It, I used to do dishes to this record. <laughs> well, then you start doing the dishes, you know, with like a sort of solemn, resigned. Yeah, I'd sit there quality. and I'd say solemnly, hey, Siri, play Time Out of Mind. Yeah. Hey, Google. Siri, do you know that we're, we're all going to die? Great song. You know, you want to have a good time via a bad time? This is a good a good song for you. Just walking down the road, feeling bad. Trying to be also a great line. Sorry, that's last episode, but just walking down the road, feeling bad. Well, that's a that's a Grateful Dead uh, sort of nod, isn't it? Not? Is it? I don't know the Dead. I don't. I'm not. Oh a... well, actually, it's a Woody Guthrie nod. Oh, well, down the road, it's both. Bad? It's both going down the road, feeling bad, sung by oh. the Grateful Dead, hmm. but it's. It's sort of made fam- more famous by the dead, but it's actually a, a Guthrie song. That's that's or awesome. or something. It's kind of both. Anyway, that's, such a, that's like my that's like one of my favorite lines on the. Either album. way, you've got you've got the dead and Guthrie in that line, which is yeah, kind of that's uh, crazy. That's the that's that's great. You love to see that. But that's the last episode, so not dark yet. Yeah, it's not kind of like yet. walking down the road feeling bad, though. You know, like that's like, how I describe yeah, that. Yeah, you're walking down the road feeling bad, and it's not quite dark yet, but you know that it is. It's getting there. <laughs> he kind of growls. It's sort of like piratey. That sort of it's getting there, <laughs> but it's getting there. Is this where he first starts doing that? I don't not know. I haven't exactly, to- but. It's definitely the first time that he starts embracing it on an, an all originals record. Yeah. Because I noticed after, huge, you, know, you know, after this point, it all gets like gravelly and low voice. Yeah. yeah. Like my favorite record, which is Tempest. Tempest. <laughs> yeah. Which Naturally. is a. <laughs> Tom Waits. Well, I'm ground, grinding my life out. I didn't realize that's what he was saying till like last Whoa. year. Anyway, uh, this song is, yeah, uh, solid gold, like 10 out of 10. What, what are you going to yeah, say? Yeah, epic, just uh, luxurious, you know? Luxurious. It's, it's pure luxury. Just the Shakespeare of our time, just uh, having a ball with like a song that will make someone of any age feel something. Yeah. I think it's, it's right there with like um, uh, similar to one of the highlights from the previous Lanwan record. Uh, it's right up there with uh, most of the time in oh, the yeah in not dark yet, but it's getting there. Is just like such a simple turn of phrase, but it's such a perfect right. and like like crystal clear image, and and you get so much most of the time. It's exactly. not it's, dark there's just yet. so much yeah. packaged in there, and it's delivered yeah. so clearly and so simply. Like it's that's that's as good as it gets, and it's God. You know, yeah. I mean this. Like we talked about in the last episode, sort of like the center of gravity of this record being the sad songs. While those aren't the only types of songs on here, like the sad ones are like super massive black holes of songs. Like this song just sucks everything else around it into it. Like no, yeah, not even light can survive in this song. 
like literally. Yeah. First uh first single released from the record. This this is the um awesome. this is the one that they thought was gonna be the toe tap in uh not dark you know, yet was the single? The first single. Yep. Oh, love sick wow. love sick was the second one, but this God, this was damn. your first taste. Well, as we discussed last time, you know, it's like Dylan was um had did have a brush with mortality around this time. Right. With this yeah. like infection. So this has kind of the air of like maybe this is my last record. Uh, it wouldn't have been a bad last record. Thank, yeah. thankfully, it's it Black wasn't. Star, right? Yeah, man. What do you think Dylan's Black Star is gonna be? That's gonna be good. Oh, I hope we didn't. I hope one. we didn't just get it. Just heard it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he's uh, he's already made it uh, significantly longer than Bowie made it after the yeah. release of Black Star. So uh, he yeah. kept sense, it on the so. level. I'm yeah, sure he's, he's got another one cooking. Yeah, yeah, probably. Hopefully, hope. Hopefully, I mean, even Bowie at the very end was. I feel like Bowie has kind of been like a hot topic throughout all this. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Bowie is Bowie was like about to do another record. Right? Then he, <laughs> he died. Yeah. Just pop song. Just pop songs. God, I I love Black Star. It's so good. Great record. Black Star. Anyway, um. Um. All right. <laughs> Next, next after not dark yet, yet, sort of the the barn burner of the of side two, the badass. This is this is a song I oh, imagine this is, this is you riding badass. a Harley on, like you know Bob's on a Harley zipping yeah. down the coast. The sun is setting, you know, in the west over the ocean, and this this kicks on in the background. Cold irons cold, bound. Cold irons bound. What does that mean? Cold irons bound. I have no idea. Do you know? Cold irons bound. No, I don't know. Is he Probably going to jail? The railroad? <laughs> I thought he was like maybe going to prison. He. I don't know. It's like an archaic turn of phrase. I, I'm not. It probably means something that I just it goes over my head. Or under my head because it's from the past. I know the. Really, I, I think about the video to this song. Mm. I'm, I'm seeing is is actually from um, Masked and Anonymous. Oh, we're, we're actually going to watch that soon for the Patreon. Ooh, yeah, that's going to be good. I've never seen it. I attempted to, to watch it. You know, Larry Charles directed it. Well, I'm bummed that we didn't get the original concept, which was his collaboration with Larry Charles, which was to be like some kind of like a slapstick. Type. Yeah movie that would have been so good would have been so much better i oh, i've man. i don't even know what nasty is like but like a slapstick sort of stooges or like uh mark's brothers type affair with yeah dylan well a uh, dylan like curb even would be really good <laughs> if dylan had ever been on curb that would have just been he should just do it now he's that's like it's like the perfect time he's already he, just like he was on people. fucking pawn yeah. stars yeah You've seen that, right? No, I I know that he was on there. I haven't seen you, that. I it's just like it. a short clip where he like signs something for Chumley. Hey, Mr. Dylan, uh, how you doing? Okay. I was wondering if I could uh, trouble you for a signature here. This is your album, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I see that. Oh. I don't have a pen. Well, I brought one with me. 
Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> How did you find me here? I knew you were doing a show, and I just figured I'd walk around until I found you. Oh. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's I got lucky. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Oh. Anything else you want me to say? You just make it out to Chumley, whatever you want to do. Okay. This will really mean a lot to my boss. Okay. Yeah, you, can, you can't ever predict where he's going to go. He switches it up, you know? It's like, well, he goes, what do people really not expect me? What show would I not show up on? Maybe Pawn Stars. One of the things that I heard, uh, <laughs> it'd be so funny if he's on The Masked Singer. Everyone just like, <laughs> like slam that buzzer in two seconds. <laughs> Apparently when he was up in Oxnard recording this record, he was having kind of a good time uh, from what I heard. Uh, because he could walk the streets, you know, like no bodyguard and just sort of like nobody bothered him because everybody's like speaking Spanish, just like didn't notice this old man walking around. And he he likes that type of thing. Could walk around without his hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> nobody would be like, you're Bob Dylan. Hey, you're he Bob just, Dylan, man. You could just be like, I just want one, one taco, please. Carne asada. Cabeza. <laughs> Give me one of them carne asadas. Yeah. I wonder what kind of tacos Bob Dylan likes to eat. Mm. Just something to think about. Something to think about. What what uh what 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 mustard would we say this record is? Oh, this is another segment uh that we like to do. Another it's fan favorite segment. <laughs> what mustard would this album be? If you could pick any mustard. You know, Maybe this is embarrassing, but I I only recently got into mustard, so I can't say that I've had oh, wow. all what do you mean? mustards. What do, you mean? what do you mean? What do you mean you've only recently got into I mustard? have only, I for a long time, I didn't like mustard. I just didn't like the taste of mustard. Well. And then recently, I was like, oh yeah, well, I like spicy mustard. You right. know, I got it, I first got into the, at the Chinese restaurants, they have the spicy the, mustard, the hot thing. mustard, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that too. So that was my entry point because that's really spicy. Mm-hmm. And then I got more into like the horseradishy stuff and and um, like just Stone spicy ground. mustard. Do you, do you like sort and of then, like a whole grain mustard where you can kind of feel the? Mm-hmm. I really, grain. I really like whole grain mustard. Me I'm too. not crazy, but yeah, maybe this is like a whole grain mustard. Out of the mustards that I've had, this is kind of a whole grain mustard. It's like classy, mm. you know. It's like textural. Um, very textural. It textural. yeah, it feels like you need to like think about it a little more. You know, it's not a it's not so super casual. It's a little bit like special occasion, special occasion. Yeah, I think there's there's sort of a horseradishy element to it too. Something that kind of hits you up in your sinuses. You know, well, those yeah. are like, and like the really kinda... blues. The the even tracks on this record for sure have a horseradish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel that. I, I definitely feel that. I think that the consensus is that this is a kind of, uh, a, uh, yeah, I think maybe a whole grain mustard. Would you say, Ian, that this is kind of a yeah, sure, yeah, sharp sort of an artisanal grain. mustard, uh, not not like your everyday, you know, yeah. lunch pail mustard. This is uh, this is one that you you know you kind of keep in the back in the fridge and you use sparingly, but on on special you occasions. Dip, you dip into it. You don't mm-hmm. put it on anything. Right. Yeah. You're not you know? squirting. It's not. It's not in a plastic squirt bottle. This is in a glass yeah, tub. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you it's put like thirteen ninety nine. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's 
$13.99. Yeah, it's like $13.99. It's like a pricey mustard. It's like a glass glass container where you kind of scoop it out. Yeah, glass container. That's what he said. God, I love mustard. You get that if you weren't looking at your phone, Evan. I was looking up mustard. That's why we can't do this video because Evan is just looking at his phone for half the podcast. Yeah, but that's part. That's part of the thing, you know. Then you just got to make bit. That's the you got to just work that into right. The, then that's a bit. Show. Oh, Evan's I'm looking. At, I'm looking at my phone. You're gonna. You're gonna. You're gonna make that into a thing. <laughs> I was looking. I was looking at mustard. Okay. You couldn't just think about it. I did. I did like a moment ago when when you said. Rado, that you were just getting into mustard for a moment. Evan had sort of like a scandalized look yeah. on his face, like he had just like heard, <gasps> like uh, that that you had like stolen his girlfriend from him or something. It was it was a, a, he he seemed shocked and appalled. Yeah. Well, I do. I I still am. He's a foodie. Oh, I can't believe you! I'm just getting into mustard. Mm, I've loved mustard since I was only a mere child. Honestly, yes, I have, and I think most people have. It's not like exotic; it's mustard. Yeah, it's kind of gross. I still don't really like yellow mustard. That's fair. You know, yellow mustard is kind of like, uh, you know, I like it on a hot hot dog. Yeah, it has its place. I just didn't realize, you know, when I growing up, I thought mustard was yellow mustard. You know, and I thought it all probably tasted okay. like yellow mustard, which I didn't like, hmm. but. Well, you know, the thing about yellow mustard, Rado, is that yellow mustard tastes mostly of turmeric. That's like what you're getting. Interesting. Yeah, I guess That's you're right. That's why it's yellow. I guess you're right. And if you don't like turmeric, you know, you're not going to like that. I'm not crazy about turmeric. I like it in a, it like a, as a additional something in, a, in addition to like a. I, I am crazy for turmeric. I'll just put that on the record here. <laughs> well, because it makes you feel good. It makes you know you feel like you did something good for yourself. It's supposedly yeah. Bad. Cures cancer. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> true. <laughs> that's why Bob has lived so long. He's remained on the level, and he eats turmeric, raw yeah. turmeric, every day. That's good. Bringing it back to Dylan. That was good. That was good. That is the subject right. of this podcast. So um, I don't think we ever said anything about Cold Iron's Bound. <laughs> I think we did. We talked about it. It was, you know. No, we talked about we it. We got into Mass Anonymous. We got into Mustard. Let's go to Make You Feel My Love. That's fair. Dun, dun, when the rain is blowing in your... Adele, dun, one dun. of the great yep. singers. Uh, I like this song very much, but I have to say that, like, that first little hit of this song that you get, it's so corny sounding, but... You know what uh, it's always sounded like to me? See, see, you're hearing it as Bob Dylan's going, dun, dun, kind of, I've always heard it as like, he's just playing it and they just cut it in there. Hmm. You oh, know, if you think about it like that, it's kind of interesting. It's like the end of the phrase. That That's actually a better way yeah. to think about it. Yeah. I, I, I would have loved to hear that whole phrase, you know, sort of Glenn Gould style. Mm-hmm. You hear him going, mm, mm, like uh, while he's playing. Sort of just like, yeah. in the yeah. Rain. yeah. But uh, this is a, on it's one of those instances that's kind of rare. I think this is kind of up there with, say, even like, all along the Watchtower, mm-hmm. where it's like a song where it's just like casually kind of just appears on a record, but it's like an immortal song yeah. that is like so much bigger than the than this song this version of it. It's just. One of the great love ballads of the last fifty years. Yeah. And he wrote it like just in, he wrote it in the studio. Did he? Yeah. 
the last it was a later edition like he just was sitting at the piano well you know i was thinking recently again about dark eyes the closer of empire uh, empire burlesque which was a similar situation it's like we need a closer we need something soft uh, to close this record and just like he just sort of in a matter of a couple hours or whatever just like okay here's like one of the best songs ever i've ever written (laughs) yeah not that many people can do massive lanois says about it in the book he says like you know, he even made that crappy piano sound good or something like that. Wow. Like in that moment, I didn't even care that the piano sounded like shit. He's always complaining about the piano. Well, cause Lanois kind of a dork. Yeah. He's like a motorcycle dork, you know? I mean, Lanois is also, I, I just want to be clear. Like I find him really admirable. Like I really admire him. Mm-hmm. And I think he's really kind of a special talent. It's really cool that he was, he came from just a kind of nothing. And he he wasn't like the son of some music industry guy. He just like kind of built this empire by just caring yeah. so much about music. Exactly. That's how he work. got to like, everywhere. He just gave a yeah, shit. Yeah. Right. He just really gave a shit. Like he, he basically had this home recording service out of his house with his brother. Yeah. And then, it became something that musicians heard about and wanted to be a part of just because he really would never allow himself to settle for anything that wasn't great. Also kind of a dying breed. Like, you know, when you think of a producer these days in, you know, the 2020s, like a producer is really just like kind of a songwriter that you bring in as like a pop star to like give you songs and then give you a co-writing credit on them. Um, And then, you know, everything is kind of just like cut and paste with presets and shit, um, you know, in logic or whatever. And Lenoir, like, you know, it, he's, he's not here to, it, he, he's here to really like, just act as the producer. Like that is its own, like totally separate and distinct kind of role. Um, that, that doesn't cross over into the work of the songwriter or the singer yeah. or the band or whatever. It's like its own, its own kind of element of the entire process that is, is kind of disappearing at this point at yeah. least for a lot of kind of, you know, big pop shit. He's also the lead guitar player on this record. Is he? Yeah. He's like playing like all the lead stuff. He's like uh, an amazing, you know, he's playing pedal steel and stuff. Like he's an amazing musician. Oh, geez. Yeah. I'm looking so, at the, yeah, so, liner notes right now. Guitar, Mando guitar, Firebird, Martin 0018, Gretsch Goldtop, rhythm and lead, all songs. Yeah. And that's kind of rare too for Dylan. Like not Mark Knopfler, obviously. Right. stuff but this is sort of like like that style thing (laughs) but um yeah no i mean he just brought so much to the to the like musicality of this record yeah but um what's oh most of uh make you feel no love damn what a good song yeah make you feel my love is just it's it really puts into perspective, you know, like whether you like the Sinatra type records he put out in the last, you know, that, that period of like seven years or not, which you're crazy if you don't like I those, do. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, like if you were like wondering why that was like, Oh, that seems like a weird choice. Like, do you realize that this man is like capable of writing those songs just like in five minutes? Like, <laughs> 
these like classic songs. Yeah. If you've written even like a couple of those, which most people haven't, Dylan's probably wrote a half dozen at least, but just like basically like an instant American standard classics. This is one of those. Yep. Then like it makes that whole period kind of make a lot more yeah. sense, I think. It's like a pop song. Well, Adele yeah. made it a pop song, but it's like it's so rare that he just like comes up with like a hook, you know, like a massive hook. It's just so it's like yeah, maybe like like a Rolling Stone, <laughs> you know. It's like eight-year-old girls sing this at recitals. Mm. Has also apparently been covered by Billy Joel and Garth Brooks. Ooh, together? Wow. I think separate. separate. <laughs> I think separate. Uh, That's a shame. But was, uh, I, I agree with you guys for, for the record. And uh, I think Evan, you, you know, as, as cheesy as the beginning is, um, you know, quote unquote cheesy, I think he earns it with like the levity and the like, you know, the the deep, dark depths that he's plumbing on the rest of the record. Like, I, I think it, I think this record needs a moment of sort of cheese and uh, and sincerity on it to, to counterbalance a lot of that other shit. Yeah. Um, no, it actually it totally works because uh, especially like kind of thinking about the first half of the record where we talked about dirt road blues and that kind of like weird you know you were talking uh Rado about how apparently Dylan was like enamored with Beck during the time of this him, recording. Him listening to Odalay is so funny to me. Yeah. What Beck? What what does that mean? Like, what does it mean for Dylan to be interested in Beck? I kind of guess that he was interested in how Beck was able to make sounds that didn't feel inorganic, but still felt really contemporary to the time. Yeah, Like he was able to basically use sampling and things like that in a way that felt kind of like uh, in the same vein of like classic blues in some ways. Yeah. Or, or, uh, he was doing so, that. Yeah, so he was just sampling like banjos and stuff. Right. And I think Dylan also was like Beck is just this young kid that was doing what I was doing in the 60s with the wordplay, you know, <laughs> and like, you know, he's he's like but he's making it modern and he's like relevant and he I think with this record he might have like And he's irreverent too. Yeah. Like Beck wasn't doing stuff that felt super self-serious. I think when Dylan wants to make a hit or something, he he can he does he just does it you know and i think with this record he was like trying a little bit harder to to make it like a good a really good record yeah yeah and that makes sense because this this is seven years after the last original collection of music that he had released you know and and for a decent chunk of that time at least it seemed like there weren't going to be any more original Bob records like ever ever basically after the covers records and the MTV unplugged set and stuff that book I have about the albums the um, Clinton Halen book yeah it, it ends with uh under the red sky <laughs> the final the final note on his career it's like cautiously optimistic like it's like well this is pr- you know if he never does anything else this is so good <laughs> so like little 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 did they know like that's it and then dylan died after red sky <laughs> but that was what was always hanging in the balance and like thankfully that's not the universe we live in even though we live in a timeline of like ex- vastly shitty things in terms of bob dylan things are going pretty good 
and have gone good since the uh, under the red sky. I would say yeah. so. so. Like we don't have to like cautiously, you know, bait our breath that like that was his last statement as an artist. <laughs> <laughs> like that hell that he must have been lit. Clinton Halen is just like we, nobody knows if he'll ever make another record. <laughs> <laughs> like Jesus. This definitely puts that to bed, this record, if nothing else. A master at work. Two masters at work. <laughs> exactly. What's the next tune, gentlemen? Well, we're coming in close to the end here. Um, the, la- the last normal song on the record is, uh, is the next one, <laughs> Can't Wait. This is kind of a weird last three songs. Yeah. This is an interesting penultimate song i would say um in that it's again one of those like more low stakes bluesy numbers but it seems a little bit more knowing in some way like it coming at this point in the record it sort of feels like an intentional like coming in for a landing type of gesture this okay so this to me yeah always not has been a song that it's just I would take it off. Yep. I would say delete it. Um, and here's what Lanois has to say in his book. Okay. He wants to set this up. <clears throat> I had wanted a hit for Bob. A hit means a great song, a rendition that touches people's hearts in a universal manner. I felt that Bob's song can't wait, held that chance. We had it on the demo, a roaring vocal delivery, Bob at the piano, me on the Les Paul, and Mangarian on the kit. That was Tony Mangarian, I guess, is, was one of the drummers that was playing on these hip-hop things. Um, and Mangarian on the kit. We were now re-recording the song, and I felt that its potential as a hit was disintegrating in front of my eyes. <laughs> I begged Bob to reconsider the feel of the demo. I even sent Mangarian out there for a take but Bob didn't have the desire and Tony was sent home. Can't Wait has a convincing feel on the record, but it did not become a hit. Can't Wait had been my ace and now my arms had been paralyzed and I couldn't move to play my card. Jesus. God. Dramatic. So this, was, this was like Lanois' like baby. Uh, he was like, this is going to be a huge is, hit. I mean, what are the lyrics? I, I actually like, they kind of get lost for me. Like this song that sort of, sludges over my ears but it's got a convincing feel but it was not a hit i'm trying to just like look at the lyrics and see like what what did what did lanois see in this i can't wait wait for you to change your mind it's late i'm trying to walk the line i mean i guess that this song's kind of vague enough as sort of like a yearning type of love song that I can imagine that Lanois wanted to make it into like a sort of series of dreams level, like hype track, you know, like we're going to blow this out of the water. We're going to make this song about like unrequited love that you'll never stop at anything to, to make yours. And Dylan was like, I want to do this sort of, sort of like a, a reggae, reggae type thing, maybe. (laughs) Hey man, let's do a reggae type thing. But to, sort of like infidels. But quiet, but quieter. 
Yeah, this like song, Infidels, man. Like my album, Infidels. I, I have to confess, Imagine Dylan I, saying that. You I, know, I looked up the. I had to listen back to the song to even remember what it was. Yeah, let's say maybe Lanois was wrong. Maybe he was right. I think the version that he really liked is on the bootleg uh, series that covers right. this time. Oh, is it? So maybe in order to properly judge this song, we'd have to listen to that. I feel like I've heard it and it's still just like, it's, it's just it's blues, blues, you know? It's a, it's a blues. It's not going to be a huge hit. It's a blues, you know? There there are actually two versions of Can't Wait on the bootleg series release that covers this time. Uh, there's There's version one and there's version two and the first one is sort of it almost like it's got like a john wesley harding vibe just like very simple mm-hmm. and spartan and spare and then the second one it's like the second last song on the record i just queued it up again for myself right now it's like seven and a half minutes long and it's got a very slow burn kind of quiet storm uh, to it. and the and the Lanois production is super present on this one and it isn't on the first one i think that mm. one is that's the one probably that's he, probably the one yeah, that he loves i think that's the one where he saw and and this, you know, I think on that version of the track, it has the, and it has the potential to be one of these standing in the door, uh, lovesick, um, trying to get to heaven, you know, kind of epics on this record, um, yeah. that really kind of bring you up. But that's not the cut we get. The one we do I would is, say, you know, it is what it is. I I think Lanois shot himself in the foot on this record by trying to demo it hmm. with Bob. You know, you think they should have just I gone in there and just cut it? I think they should have gone in there because Bob likes take one, you know. You do one record with Dylan, you, you'd think that you'd kind of get that, that that's how to do it. Yeah. That you just got to like ride that energy. But I guess it, for, for Lanois, though, I think that he's too creative to just settle for that because he doesn't want to risk that, you know. If Dylan does like two takes of something, like after that, he's just done and he might not ever even want to record the song again. So I think yeah. it makes sense as if you're a producer, you don't want to yeah. risk that. You don't want to just yeah, risk don't Dylan demo. Like right. trashing a song just because he didn't like the first couple takes and got sick of it. I've never personally worked with anybody like that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess that uh, that brings us to uh, well, uh, the last song on the record, uh, the <laughs> the last seventeen minutes of the record. Oh man, going out with a bang here, folks. Highlands uh, sequel sequel to Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. Now we're in the Highlands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Highlands, right? yeah, yeah, Lowlands sure. and hi- versus Highlands. This, uh, you know, this is quite a track. So some movies are sort of deemed like hangout movies, you know. Mm. There are some films that are kind of better, actually, to not so like pay too much attention to, but to kind of watch a few times where you just kind of get something different out of every viewing. Right. I think Robert Altman is kind of like the master of this, like, so many of his movies are kind of, uh, yeah, movies where you can just kind of hear different snatches of dialogue that you miss yeah, the first time. Yeah, and you don't get a hundred percent of it every time through. Like maybe maybe you're locked in on the first third on your first viewing, and then on your second viewing you catch the last third, and then your third viewing you catch like the first twenty percent, the last thirty percent. Exactly, and, and yeah. it's like the master. I mean, yeah. Like, 
that that movie too. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is a sort of protege of of Altman in a lot of ways, and has sort of adopted some of that. Like, yeah. But uh, I think that what makes a lot of great movies great a lot for me personally, a lot of movies just to continue this sort of metaphor of that I really like to come back to and watch again are ones that have sort of a connective tissue in them where there's scenes where somebody is just like going to the store and it doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the plot or like a scene where just somebody's like brushing their hair or like doing their makeup things that kind of just like give this sense of a bigger world to the film um, where it feels lived in. And this song is kind of Cassavetes. Cassavetes for sure. sure. I mean, definitely. Every everything about Cassavetes feels uh, like husbands is like it just feels yeah. like almost too lived in. It's like gross. But uh, Mikey and Nikki, Mikey and Nikki, another know, great and, and honest and ramble. Columbo. The, the like the whole entire series of Columbo. Yeah, if we're on that your Peter favorite f- your favorite program these days. Well, it is. It, I would compare this song to Columbo just in that like <laughs> it's kind of the perfect thing to have on in the background. You just get this sort yeah. of like long form montage of just scenes that are kind of mundane, but by the end of it, but then you get like a little, you get like a little, it's like mundane scenes, but then you get a you, these little bits that you pay attention to, right? Like certain things will just like catch in your mind, you'll go and, like dang on the TV, and you'll look over at it. Yeah, exactly. This song at what? What's the actual length of this song? Like, Sixteen minutes thirty-one seconds. Yeah. Is this the longest Bob Dylan song? Until a year ago, it was. Oh, okay. So, uh, Rough and Rowdy Ways introduced us to Murder Most Foul, okay, of, of course. course. But yeah, this this held the crown for a while of just the longest song, and unlike Murder Most Foul, this does not attempt to like synthesize the fall of the American empire through a single event. It actually is just about Dylan wondering if he should get some eggs and how, how he wants them cooked. Yeah. Best line. I wonder if your best line is also my favorite best line. Okay. Let's go best line. Okay. All right. Absolutely. Okay. My favorite best line line is uh, the line about Neil Young. I'm listening to Neil Young. Gotta turn up the sound. Someone's always yelling to turn it down. Great line. Such a backhanded compliment. <laughs> That's such a yeah. It's and it, I, it might be the first time that I can. I'm not uh, the biggest expert, but I think it's the first time that he brings like kind of a possibly like a modern. Yeah, it's before re- the like, Alicia Keys reference on mm-hmm. modern times. Yeah, well, on this new one, it's all over the place. He's like Stevie Nicks, and you know, he's just like talking about his like contemporary Jones. But he didn't do that a lot. No, you know, until recently. Recently, he started bringing in that modern stuff. Right. I don't know. That's kind of interesting. Him just saying Neil Young is just really, really jarring. Comes out of left field. Well, also, it's it's, as we've discussed, I think, which is kind of like. If Dylan is to be remembered for anything, I it in my opinion, like kind of the thing that he brought brings to music that nobody really did before is this sort of like confluence of old and new in this way that just nobody does. Um and except for maybe Scott Walker, I would say. But uh 
the song itself is actually thought to be borrowed from the poem My Heart's in the Highlands by Scottish poet Robert Burns, whom Dylan later cited as his greatest influence, apparently. Wow, uh, of course. But Robert you've also Burns. got Neil Young up in there. Uh, so the, this is a a total like collapsing of all times and places into a song. And uh, yeah, it does. It actually does remind me again of like Altman in that way where Robert Altman seems to be like another artist who seems to have this sort of gift for blending times, uh, t- periods of time into like something that feels organically like cohesive. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like the long goodbye. Yeah. Like yeah, well, thing. the long goodbye of uh, one of the best things about that, which is probably literally one of my favorite movies that I've ever seen anyway. Is, is, yeah, it's amazing. Is that it begins with uh, the character of, of Phil Marlowe, as played by Elliot Gould, just waking up in the 70s. You just get no context other than him waking up yeah, the first ten, the first ten minutes is him like trying to find food feed for his, his cat. cat. Yeah. It's just like okay, you know this famous character. We're just putting him here now. We're putting him in the modern day, right? Our times. Yeah, this is just Dylan like walking around Malibu. There's some. There's that line about uh, I'm crossing the street to get away from a mangy dog. <laughs> you know, it's just so conversational. I think it takes place in Boston, doesn't it? Probably. I picture him just walking around Malibu. He mentions yeah. Boston in here somewhere. I'm in Boston town in some restaurant. I got no idea what I want. Well, maybe I do, but I'm just really not sure. Waitress come over. Nobody in the place but me and her. I was going to yeah. say that my favorite lyric, or one, at least one that really sticks with me, is when the waitress tells him, you want hard-boiled eggs. Okay, it's like a whole passage. It's like, <laughs> you want hard-boiled eggs? Then he's like, okay, bring me some. She says, we don't have any. And then she says to draw a picture of her. And then he says, I don't draw pictures from memory. <laughs> it's It seems like, uh, again, one of these instances of like a sort of uh, Frankie Lee and Judas Priest type of situation of like a song whose lyrics actually kind of, it suggests that it's like not literal or it's it has some kind of other weird mysterious meaning well, i think frankie lee and judas priest is driving at some sort of like moral or some sort of like point even as obscure as it may be this most to me reminds me of brownsville girl where he's just kind of rambling for verse after verse after verse and like not really getting anywhere but it's still compelling somehow got punchlines yeah yeah exactly he says i don't know what i want she says you want you probably want hard-boiled eggs he says okay Bring me some. She's like, we do not have any. Don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is that this is a great song. It's a great song. It's a great song. And uh, a really interesting and worthy end to the record, even though it's like an unlikely way to end this album. I would say start it with Highlands. Wow. <laughs> no, I'm just, that's, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> I think it makes sense. Okay. It makes sense as the end of the record because there isn't a way to end this record. Like it, like you've gone through so, like up until this point, it's already been an hour. We've had ten or eleven yeah. songs, ten songs. What's another seventeen minutes? Yeah, you know, and we've gone, we've gone up and down and been so like down in the depths, and there's so much misery, and then there's hope with you know, make you feel my love there at the end. 
and like there there is no like satisfying easy way to wrap this all up with a single kind of perfect single song and so you know <laughs> just fuck it <laughs> how about a sprawling epic? A, a narrative about a diner that just kind of lasts like way longer than you would expect. Uh, Sometimes certain records end with something that suggests the next album a little bit. Like they, mm-hmm. they sort of like give you a sneak preview at like, well, this is where I'm at now, whether intentionally or not. And uh, I think it's kind of interesting to think about this album as sort of the sneak preview of the next track that we'll hear from Bob Dylan, mm. which just kind of becomes something completely irreverent uh, with Tweedledee and Tweedledum on Love and Theft from 2001. In that respect, I think this has, has an extra little glimmer of interest to it because you get a, a sense of like, we're in uncharted territory for Dylan now and anything could happen. Yeah. He's going to start taking the reins. He's not letting no more people uh, boss him around in the recording process. It's Jack Frost's show now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Jackie Frost. Old, old Jack. Well, I think now uh, that we've come to the end of time out of mine, it's, it's time to Mm. mind the one to three star score that we would all give this album. Are you, are you familiar Rado with the, with the three star Evans patented three star rating system? No, I'm not. Fill me in. You can rate the album from one to three of stars. You cannot do half stars, but you can do zero stars if you were angry, but it's probably not going to be zero. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you got one, you got two. And or three. three. And and I would and just say before you commit, you know, just to go with your heart. Yeah, yeah. And I want to assure you, there's going to be no funny business on my end. I'm not going to try to cre- uh, skirt the system and create a new star system or uh, cheat in any way. I just want you to just to say what, what you feel. That's all. And you can trust me to do that. I'm a trustworthy um, guy. <laughs> okay, go. I will go first. Uh, we'll let Evan go last because he might have a sort of controversial kind of take for us here. Uh, right. I'm gonna—he's he's sort of the contrarian on the show. I'm gonna do the predictable <laughs> thing here. Do the right thing here. Three stars. Come on, it kicks ass. It should be shorter. It could be shorter. We could cut three of the blues tracks and whatever. Uh, but what is here is still so just like out of this world you know, heights, tops, all time Dylan, uh, with, uh, with the Lanois shit, you know, it, it, uh, couldn't, couldn't ask for anything more as a comeback record. You know, Ian, I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you, agree with you 100%. I give it three stars. Uh, I think it is, it's possibly on certain days and in certain times of my life been my all time favorite Bob Dylan record. I feel you on that. I throw it on so much i've probably listened to it more than any bob dylan record i think there's more to dig in this one than uh a lot of his um you know the last 20 years right at least uh yeah three stars all the way love it evan (laughs) You, you know uh for a moment there i was doubting what i was going to say but um 
No, it's obviously three stars. It's wow. Great, great album. Yeah. And uh, three stars. Hall of Fame. I'm giving you a round of applause here. Every record is different, first of all. Every record has a different strength. And this record has a strength of just a, in a certain vibe that I think you, th- you two gentlemen, and, and honestly, it's clear that like the world responds to this record and its vibe, which is just, it, it's, it's hard to um, uh, overstate how, how strong the vibes are here. Even though there are songs that could be cut, I actually have grown to sort of appreciate that it's a little bit overlong because like Robert Altman and The Long Goodbye and some of my favorite pieces of film media, it's got some sort of diversions and just sort of like threads that go nowhere that make it all the more charming and just add to the greatness of what you actually get. Great value. Three that's, yeah. that's, that's what Evan's always got his eyes out for. Is, do, you, do you get your money's worth? It's the nice price. Is, is it a good value for you? You know, <laughs> this is what I'm sort of thinking of. Is it when you pay the money for the record, are you getting a good price? <laughs> so I would say three stars, 100%. Well, Jonathan Rado, hey. do you have anything to plug, actually? Um... Just all of my forthcoming work. What's your next record that's coming out that you produced? Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say. All right. Well, but, buy that um, killer's record, the last one they did. Buy the killer's record. Um, you know, that money goes directly into my pockets. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, just follow me on Twitter um, and Instagram and uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. I don't think we've even mentioned Foxygen, great band that uh, was probably the 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 first band that I loved that I knew anybody in, in the band. Yeah, pretty epic band. Good band. They should uh, a- they should put a record out sometime. Oh yeah, it's possible. Cool. Well, Jonathan <laughs> Rado, Ian Grant, Evan, Laffer, and. Yeah, and Laffer, that's my last name. And, uh... Jokerman. Hell yeah. When the rain is blowing in your face And the whole is on your case I could offer you Shadows and the stars of